Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church Podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 52 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today, I'm just going to be talking to you about questions 127, 128, and 129. And ultimately, this week we are finishing up not just the Lord's Prayer, but we're completing our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. We kicked this whole thing off in January um, and, and have made our way through 2019 and through the entire catechism as well. And uh, for those of you who are uh, who gather with us on the Lord's Day for worship, you know that we've been working through this catechism uh, in our worship time together. We've been reading this together as part of our corporate reading. Uh, and then this podcast has really been about uh, you know just a follow-up devotion in the middle of the week to help uh, spur you on, but also to explain and go a little bit deeper into this catechism. And we've made our way all the way through it. And I hope that it has been as helpful to you uh, as it has been for me. But we bring this year of the Cornerstone Podcast to a close by examining the last few phrases in the Lord's Prayer. And since we have three questions and three answers, I'm going to try to get through this quickly, but I hope it will be helpful to you as well. So let's look at question 127. What is or what is meant by the sixth petition? And the answer is this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one means by ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not go down to defeat in the spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. Now, unfortunately, uh, we are all familiar with temptation, right? I mean, temptation is when um, the desire to do something sinful arises in our hearts or presents itself in our experience. And the Bible talks about temptation all the time. In fact, the story of Scripture begins with a temptation. All the way back in Genesis 3, in the garden, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, uh, our first parents, they faced temptation because a created being, ultimately an enemy of God and man alike, he crept into the garden and tempted them into rebellion, tempted them into sin. He tempted Eve with the thought that she could be like God or ultimately that she could become God herself because she would have the ability to determine what was right and what was wrong by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she failed in that temptation, and all of humanity has been paying the price ever since. So the nature of temptation uh, that that is all the way at the very beginning of Scripture, the nature of temptation that Adam and Eve faced is the same type of temptation that we face on a daily basis. Satan points out something that is appealing, and he uses that to twist the truth and to lead us into sin. And we understand that there are three main ways that we are tempted. We are tempted by Satan, we are tempted by our own flesh, and we are tempted by the world and the worldly system. Uh, so the same things are going on in our lives today. Satan is tempting us through these various means. And, and basically what Satan is doing is he is seeking to lure us into sin. He's seeking to lure us away from obedience to God, out of relationship with God by dangling something before us that appeals to us. 
But in the end, it always leads us away from God. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan pastor, spoke of temptation in this way. He said that Satan's first device to draw the soul into sin is to present the bait and hide the hook, to present the golden cup and hide the poison, to present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit, and to hide from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin, because Satan is a cheat, giving them an apple in exchange for paradise. In other words, Satan uses temptation like a hook hidden in bait. Now, we seldom think about the nature of temptation, but when we do, we tend to think about things that are obvious. But the Bible talks about temptation coming to us in very subtle ways. Satan didn't walk into the garden um, boldly proclaiming, I'm going to overthrow God's created order. He didn't come into the garden wearing an I hate God t-shirt. He simply came and pointed at the fruit and started talking about how good it looked. He didn't sit down with Eve and devise a scheme to overthrow God. He didn't carefully you know, show her uh, what was going to happen and help, help her weigh out all of the, the consequences like informed consent. No, he just twisted God's word. He twisted the word of God, and that was all that he needed. So when the Bible talks about temptation, it uses metaphors. It uses the metaphors of trap or like animals being lured and trapped or enticed into danger while they're unaware of what lies ahead. Uh, In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it it talks about being caught in sin like a fly in a spider's web. An unsuspecting uh, thing has happened. In James chapter 1, verse 14, James talks about being lured into temptation like a fish is lured to a hook by bait. In in 1 Timothy 6, 9, it speaks of temptation like a snare used to catch live prey. All of these things, all of these illustrations help us understand that the nature of temptation is subtle, it's crafty, and it will often be difficult for us to be prepared for it. It's difficult to discern. And that's been Satan's uh, tactic uh, for temptation from the very beginning. And that's precisely why we need to pray for God's help. We need to pray, God, help free us from this temptation. Help keep us from temptation. Help free us from the devices of the evil one. That's what we're praying for here. We're praying for God to help us because we can't always see the evil one who's behind all of the temptations that we're facing. On our own, we are not powerful enough. Uh, We're not spiritually mature enough to battle our own temptations. So so yeah, I mean, we can grow as Christians in the faith and we can become more capable, but in the end, we need help. And that's what we're praying for. We're praying for the help of the Holy Spirit um, to help keep us from giving in to the temptations that we face in this life. Okay, question 128. What does your conclusion or the conclusion to this prayer mean? Now, not all of the the most modern translations of the Bible, for instance, the ESV does not contain this phrase, but many of us learned this phrase um, when we learned the Lord's Prayer years ago. Uh, It's contained within the King James, the New King James, and some older translations. But here's the phrase, the conclusion, if you will, to this prayer. And here's the answer to the question, what does it mean? The, The phrase is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And this phrase means that we have made all of these requests, all of these prayers of God, because as our all powerful king, you not only want to, but are able to give us all that is good 
and because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. So it, I don't know that it really needs to be stated too too much, but it's here, and maybe I should say a little bit about it, that this whole prayer is preoccupied not with us. It's preoccupied with God. I mean, it begins with God. It ends with God. It's, it's at every turn we are casting ourselves at the mercy of God. We are begging God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. This entire prayer is preoccupied with our humility and God's glory, with our need and God's provision. That's, that's what this prayer is about. This prayer is about the glory of God. It's about His kingdom and not our kingdom. This prayer isn't the expression of our natural disposition. It is the disposition of heaven. And this prayer is aiming to orient our hearts around the goodness of God and the holiness of God and the provision of God and the power of God and the glory of His name. And so that's what this phrase is intended to convey. It means to convey that, God, this is all about you. It shows that the point of this prayer is not our happiness, but but our praise for God and our reliance upon our Creator God. Our prayer is not about building our kingdom. It's about God using us to build His kingdom, right? This This prayer is not about our power. It's about us confessing our weakness and relying upon His strength. This prayer and this universe is not about our glory. It's about His glory. And so when we say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, that's what we're saying. We're saying, God, this is all about you. And I'm a small part in this. I'm, I'm an, in some cases, an insignificant part in this. I, I, I have a role of significance only because you give me a role of significance. But it's all about you. So let this be about your name and your glory and your kingdom forever. Right? So that's what that conclusion is about. And then lastly, question 129, what does that little word amen express? Uh, Amen means, this is the answer, that this is sure to be true. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Now, some of you know this. The the word amen, uh, it just simply means let it be. It's a statement of confidence in the one that we are praying to. The Catechism is pointing out that even though I may desire the very things I pray, God's reception of our prayer and God's commitment to our good and His glory is greater than our desire. So when we're saying amen, it's like us just putting it all in God's hands. It's it's a, uh, a statement, a confession of the fact that we are laying all that we have said at the feet of our sovereign and gracious God with more confidence than we possess that He will accomplish His holy will in through and around our prayers. So this is a wonderful prayer, and this is a great thing for us to look at as we come to the end of 2019 and we begin to look at 2020. We need to be reminded of what we're doing as believers and what we should be doing on a regular basis as believers, coming before the Father, opening His Word, learning about Him and learning from Him, and then praying our hearts out before Him and asking Him to accomplish His purpose in our lives, asking Him to help us, asking Him to meet the needs that we have, asking Him to accomplish His purpose even when we don't fully understand it. And then at the end of that prayer, we just lay it all at His feet and we trust in the the grace of our Sovereign Lord. Now, thank you so much for joining me this year. Uh, Thank you for joining me in in this journey through the Heidelberg Catechism in 2019. It has been an amazing year. 
And I hope that you'll check back in 2020 to see what is in store. We're going to continue with this podcast. It might take on a little bit of a different form, but it's going to be great. I hope it'll be helpful to you. So come back and we'll see you next time. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstone Wiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.